Church. I'm here uh, representing the Paschal family. My wife and kids, four kids, are up in Speculator, New York, after a whirlwind couple months. And um, they've heard this message before, so I gave them a pass today to <laughs> hear it another time. But uh, it's, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, it's a joy to be back. It's been a couple years since we've been at East Glenville. Um, I wanted to give a short kind of mission report, a little bit of what we're doing. This is our family. We have two kids in college. Jake is a, starting a senior year at Cedarville. Clarissa is a junior at uh, Taylor University. And then we have two at home. Uh, Shane will be 15 uh, in a couple months, and Adelaide is just turning 14. So um, we have two teenagers, well, two teenagers, two college students. We live in Budapest, Hungary. Uh, and um, I want to just, this is a quick little Mission quiz for those who know a little bit about missions. Uh, what is this window called? Anyone know what is this called? What? 1040. Okay, it's from 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees. So we used to live in, we used to serve in Senegal inside the window. How many of you, who knows how long this window idea has been around? 1974. Okay, so Ralph Winter, Luzon, Billy Graham Conference, they, they use this as a way to mobilize the church to pray for the parts of the world that don't have the gospel, including the Muslim world in North Africa and, and Middle East, the Hindu world in India, and the communist world of China. This is a picture of migration. This is what's happened beginning really within the last decade where the peoples from these countries are moving out of the window. So what I like to tell my churches is, thank you so much for praying. God is answering your prayers to reach people in the unreached area of the world because he's moving some of those people out of the window into greater access to the gospel. That's what migration ministry is about. Next slide. We live in Budapest. We don't live downtown, but this is the downtown Coletti train station. When I was here last, I was giving a report about missions and what we were doing. We returned back to Budapest and there was 3,000 people a day showing up in our train station, starting the process to become uh, asylum seekers in Europe. So this was a picture of M1, which is kind of uh, the north way. This stretches from uh, Hungary out to, to Vienna, Austria. And about 20,000 people started walking. So I, we, we moved back. This is right past our house. All of these people moving into Europe. Um, it was a pretty crazy time in 2015, 16. A lot of different families were looking for, for safety, looking for a new life, looking for uh, a place to begin. This next picture is just one of the Afghan families that, that, that were in a refugee camp in Bishke, right near our house, about 20 minutes. So just recently, a lot of people asked, so is the refugee crisis still a crisis? Yes, it is. Just uh, two weeks ago, I was in Greece. I'll talk a little bit about this. But this is called uh, the Life Jacket Graveyard. And every day, about 200 to 300 refugees show up on the shores of Greece uh, in, in Lesbos. Next slide. So globally, um, this is actually last year's number. We're now over 70 million uh, displaced people in the world. Um, next slide. Most of them are internally displaced, meaning if they're, many of the Syrians have moved north during the, the Civil War to a place of safety. Many of those that are from Congo have moved to 
places where it's safe in Congo. Many of the Venezuelans have moved, tried to move to other parts of Venezuela. So it's there's the internally displaced, but there is a percentage of them, uh, 25,000 or 25 million people who are outside of their country of origin. Okay, one out of 113 people in the world are forcibly displaced people. So I'm just sharing this as as a way to say you may not think of refugees as a mission field, but it's a huge, huge need. And we feel the Lord has brought us to Eastern Europe for this time, for this reason, is to reach this many people. Um, Our vision is to, as you read it, uh, to create a dynamic network of national Christian leaders in Europe, working together to share the gospel, plant churches, and raise up new leaders among refugees and unreached migrant peoples. And we shared a little bit about that in the video. Next slide. So it is still happening today. This portrait was done in Lesbos. um, And we were there for a week serving with Euro Relief in the camp of Lesbos. Just a few slides I'll show you. We were building tents because as people would arrive, it's a camp that can hold 2,000 people. But right now their current capacity is um, between 6,500 and 7,000. So we're building new tents. This is our team. We took two uh, two couples from Saratoga County, from uh, sending churches of ours, uh, an individual from San Diego, one of our sending churches there, and um, a group of guys from New Jersey. Those are the guys. We were the tent team. We built 20 new tents that could house, they could actually put 20 people in each of these tents, if you can believe it, um, including uh, this Pakistani family that just arrived uh, with their babies, two strollers. Um, it was super hot for those who've been through this heat wave. It was over 100 degrees when we were there uh, every day. Next slide. We also went to Thessaloniki, Greece for the second week um, and worked with the care center there. And every day there would be three to 400 people who have been who are trying to start their lives over. Many of them are homeless as refugees. Uh, so they had uh, food. They had clothing. They had a place to take a warm shower. They even did laundry service uh, for these people. And so our volunteer team joined the care center there and just uh, loved on people, and we shared the gospel in some, some meaningful ways, practical ways. This is one young man. Just uh, He's from uh, – actually, he's from Morocco. And uh, his story is that he – Basically, his, his father was uh, sick and died, and in the process of that, rejected his faith in Islam. Uh, didn't understand how God would allow something like that to happen. He became a refugee. His mom has MS, uh, and his, do- his sister uh, has some kind of, um, has like, I don't know, something going on with her, with her brain where she has spasms. They don't know what it is. So he's trying to figure out how to start their life. He's unemployed. He's trying to figure out where to live. And, uh, but he's trying to also understand where is God in all this. And so we're sharing the gospel and just loving uh, this, this young man that he would come to know Christ. He attended a church that we went to. Uh, this church was full of Kurdish people and, and Iranians and Afghans. And, we're, and I had the chance to share the gospel with uh, these two men. The one on the yellow shirt, is from Kur- he's Kurdish. He's from Syria. And he came to Christ they're a pretty miraculous thing. I don't have the time to tell his story, but it's similar to Paul and how through a dream and through, through being basically delivered from a prison situation, crossing the border, uh, he met the Lord. So really powerful testimony. 
Um, this is kind of a new word that's being thrown around in mission circles because as we, this massive amount of people are moving around the world, we're realizing that we need to change our strategy as missionaries to say not just sending people to, say, Greece to reach Greek people, but we need to send people to Greece to reach Iranians, to reach Afghans, to reach Pakistanis, to reach and to reach Greeks. I mean, it needs, we need to be thinking about diaspora. So diaspora is this scattering of people, this dispersion. It used to be referred mainly to the Jewish diaspora. That's where the, the word comes from in the Old Testament. But it's people who identify with the homeland but live outside of their homeland. People, with, they could be first generation, they could be second generation or third, but they have this idea of homeland being somewhere else. Uh, just a couple things. They could have migrated because of force or, or, or choice, looking for work, tr- escaping conflict or persecution. They have a collective memory of their homeland. And it maintains a connection to that country of origin. Strong group consciousness and a sense of belonging with other people from their group around the world. Now, some of us, my family, were French Huguenots. We left France as Protestants, went to Holland to escape the persecution there. Some of us went to South Africa. The Pascals went to Canada and North America. So, in a sense, I am a, a religious uh, refugee uh, in my descendants. My, my wife's family is from Ireland. They left during the potato, potato famine of 1848, came to the United States for a new life. So we are, my wife and I are both great-great-great-great-grandkids uh, of refugees, political, uh, spiritual, and uh, economic refugees. Next thing. Seeing this uh, diaspora in light of Scripture, you know, it was interesting. Going back to Greece with this team, we were actually, we read through the whole book of Acts, two chapters a day for over two weeks, got through the whole book of Acts, and we camped out in Acts 17 because we really did, we relived Paul's missionary journey in Acts 17 because he was in Athens, he was in Thessaloniki, and he was in Philippi. And then in chapter 20, he went to Miletus, which is where Lesbos is. So for those who don't know, Lesbos, that island, Paul was there, and there's a church there. But we got the chance to go to this Areopagus and stand. The next slide is Mars Hill. So you can climb up on this pile of rocks, and this is where Paul gave his Mars Hill uh, sermon in Acts 17. Underneath that, they have the message of Paul on his bronze plaque. And uh, I just wanted to read this as a context to say, look, diaspora missions, migration missions might be a new phenomenon, but really God has always moved people around the world. He has always had a redemptive plan for moving people. It's part of how he, he reaches them. It's his design. So let's read this passage of Scripture. Well, it's probably small. Well, you can probably read that. Let's read it together, okay? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. When you read that scripture on Mars Hill and you look out at the the millions, 
that are there, and you think of the hundreds of thousands that have come from distant shores, you, you capture this vision of God, that God moves people for his gospel, for his purpose. It's always redemptive. He uses even evil things to push people closer to him. I wanted just to start with that. So our mission strategy should reflect this this movement of God. Um, We must meet, reach people where God is moving them. Not just because you can't, as a missionary, there has been days, well, just two weeks ago, I was in a camp. I was able to share Christ with a Syrian, with an Iranian, with an Afghan, and with an Iraqi, and a Pakistani, and a family from Congo. I can only get in as a missionary into the country of Congo legally. In one day, I could minister to all five, six of those unreached peoples. It's amazing. The freedom that you have, once they are able to get out of their country, their restricted access. Um, This is one group. I want you to pray. We often think about people groups inside the window. Hazara, the Hazara people. This is a miracle story what God is doing. This, these are a Muslim people group living in the middle of, Af- of Afghanistan. There is no Hazara church in Afghanistan. There have been thousands upon thousands of Hazara coming to Christ around the world. I've met many of them in Germany, in Sweden, in Hungary, and even two weeks ago in Greece. They love and follow Jesus. They have been compelled, pushed towards Christ because of how they've been treated as a Muslim minority in their own country. This is what a Hazara looks like in Europe. Okay? They, they have shed their Islamic identity. They want to know what it is to, to know and be loved by the God of creation. And it's happening. This next slide is a church of uh, about 100 people. Over half of them are Hazara people from Afghanistan. There are no churches in Afghanistan. There are churches all over Europe full of Afghans. It's never been seen before. The same thing with Iranians. Same thing with Syrians and Kurds. Uh, It's just a a new day. Next slide. So we are called to, to identify with, like refugees, we are called to identify with a spiritual homeland but live outside of it. As people of faith, we are to be like strangers and citizens of another country. So we're going to talk about this, uh, this longing for home, and how, we, how our identity as Christians should actually be closer to that of a refugee. Because that will help us, one, have a compassion for them, but also realize that our home is not here. It's not from where we are come from, but our home is where we are going. And when our home and our identity is is heavenly, it enables us to look beyond our culture, beyond what people are saying, to have a godly perspective on what God is doing in the world, have a mission. So, anyway, let's just go to the last slide. Thanks, Kristen. And I would like to ask if I could get a little glass of water. doesn't have to be holy water, just any kind of water. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Brad. Let's um, pray as we uh, enter into the Word of God. And um, I got a little bit of a late start because of the missions report, so I'm going to go a couple minutes beyond my time. That's all right. So let's pray together and ask God to speak to us through His Word.
Thanks, Lord, for uh, your call in our life. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from members of the church this morning of how you you inspired them. You showed them a church that is alive in the midst of persecution, in the midst of deprivation and spiritual uh, openness, but also physical need. And Lord, how that changes us as we step out of our own comfort zone, as we step out of our own culture. Lord, you show us that you are a God of the nations. You show us that you are not a respecter of persons and you don't ask for our national identity in heaven, that you, that we all stand before the throne as sons and daughters. Lord, stripped of our ethnicity, stripped of our, our, our passport, Lord, but we all will one day, all tongues, tribes, nations, on colors, we will sing to the Lamb who's on the throne in one voice. So, Lord, help us to have that vision as we look at your word today. You would help us to live as aliens and strangers in this world for your purpose and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, sir. So, I would like to just ask for 15 minutes of your time as we look at the Word. Um, I know we'd like to close, and we're going to close, I think, with a closing song. But the, this Word of Scripture has really been um, directive for me. It's been instructive as I've tried to understand how do I communicate a biblical understanding of diaspora and refugees. I know this is kind of a hot topic. It's a bit controversial. There's a lot of, believe me, no newscast is getting God's perspective. So I just for a minute, I'd just like to acknowledge that it's, it's something that we as a church need to talk about. Uh, because the, the arguments and the, what's being said is not really reflective of the heart of God. And I just want to share, is from my perspective, from the front line, from someone who has a, a vision from, from the Lord to serve and enter into a very controversial ministry, what keeps me going? What motivates me with all the pushback and all the Facebook posts that I don't want to follow and all the other things? How do I keep on mission? And I don't expect you all, because you haven't seen what I've seen, you don't live where I live, to fully get there. But I just ask for you to... Maybe just release your shoulders for a minute and just say, okay, Lord, help me to see what you, what you want to say. Use your word to, to speak to me. And um, that's all I'd ask for you this morning as we kind of g- glance into this scripture. We won't have time to unpack the whole chapter. It's not going to be an expository. But I want to camp out on this. First of all, refugees, the word is not found in scripture. But if you want to see the, the trace of it, the thread of it, you can get on your Bible app or your, your, your concordance and look up the word alien. Look up the word foreigner. If you do that, you're going to have hundreds and hundreds of hits. God has always had an, a compassion for three people, the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And God's people, Old Testament and New, have been mandated to take care of those who are unfortunate and in greatest need. Those three categories, alien, orphan, widow, are the, <laughs> they're the trinity. 
you want to see what, what God's people are supposed to do and love differently from the world, those are the three groups that are close to the heart of God. So that's how I'm going to frame this. If you want to look at one passage in Old Testament that's pretty powerful, Leviticus 19, 33 to 34. When an alien, foreigner, refugee resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. Pretty powerful. New Testament, um, Jesus didn't talk about aliens that much, but he did say this in Matthew 5 about loving loving your neighbor. He said, uh, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So that would include our modern-day enemy might be the Muslim world, might be whatever, fill in the blank. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Do not even tax collectors do that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then he says, be perfect, therefore, as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love enables you to love even your enemy, and that is supernatural. You don't need the Holy Spirit to love someone who loves you. You don't need the Holy Spirit to see someone in the mall who's completely different from you instead of saying, I don't know about that person, to say, actually, I'm going to pray for that person in the check aisle, in the store, in my school, in my classroom. And then finally, just Matthew 25, when, when Jesus is, and we read this scripture actually when we were in Lesbos. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. I was a foreigner, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Very familiar passage, but I'm just sharing with you. The heart of God is that welcoming the stranger is part of that expression that when God says, they will know you are Christians by your what? Love. So my word to you, just as we, before we get into Hebrews, is that this, this idea of loving the stranger, of loving the alien as yourself, is timeless. It's not a new thing. This modern migration because of airplanes and travel and all that, and commu- that's new. But God has always moved people to, so that he can move them closer to himself. And he's always asked his people to, whoever I move close to you, you better love them because no one else will love them. No one. The Holy Spirit will mark you by your love. So we have a global mandate. Go and make disciples of all nations. We have That's called the Great Commission. We have a great commandment. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself, including your enemy. That's supernatural. So we can fulfill that by a couple things. Living and acting like a stranger ourselves. Let's look at verse 13 in Hebrews. Actually, uh, yeah. All these died in faith, all these heroes of faith, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. 
For people who speak thus made it clear that they were seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Living as a stranger, it, it, it changes our view of ourselves. We realize that our identity is not from where we are from, but it's where we are going. Uh, we as missionaries, I've had a chance to raise my family in New York. I've raised my family in France. I've raised my family in West Africa, in Senegal, and now in Hungary. If you ask my younger kids, where's home? The younger ones will say, it's Budapest. If I ask you my daughter, where's home? She'll say, Africa. If I ask you my son, where's home? He'll say, wherever mom is cooking. I mean, <laughs> somehow, and the, the funny thing, irony is, is I've somehow raised two Yankee fans in the middle of all this moving. They, they just love the Yankees. Um, I'm not even a Yankee fan myself, but... Um, but there's an African proverb that says this, the man who never leaves his own village thinks that his mom is the best cook in the world. <laughs> um, now, what do I mean by that? Getting out of your culture, getting out of your home is a really good thing. It shows you that actually someone else's cooking is pretty good. It's actually just as good as your mom's, though you probably never say that. It changes our view of ourselves. You realize that you can be home wherever the God leads you. And we actually have that plaque on our, in our living room. Home is where God leads us. It isn't where we have a house. We used to have a house here in Saratoga County. We sold that house and went to the mission field. But when you live as a stranger and an alien, you don't hold on to your house. You don't hold on to your identity. You, you hold on to your, your citizenship in heaven. And you get to the fact, you get used to the fact of growing up kind of as an outsider. Now, how many of you as Christians, the way the world is going, the values, all the changes, the godlessness, the language, everything, have you ever felt like, I don't really belong here? Like, this is not my home. I don't, I don't even know how to identify with you. Okay, I've had conversations with people, I'm like, I really don't know what to say. I'm just so, my heart is so different from you. I love you, but I don't know how to identify with you because my identity is not you. Though we speak the same language, we have the same uh, country, I don't, know, I don't know who you are. Um, and that's actually a healthy thing, you know, uh, to have this identity that I don't really belong here. Now, that doesn't sh- it shouldn't lead you to isolation and just distancing yourself from the world. We're called to be actually into the world, but not of it. We're supposed to be culturally and righteously different from those around us. Not in a looking down way, but in a distinctive way that actually is an attractive way. That people say, wow, I don't know why you don't cuss like everyone on the job site, but what, why don't you do that? Why is your language so clean? It's just one of those things. Um, our identity is different as if we live as aliens and strangers. If we live as aliens and strangers, we also will see others different. You know, how many of you can remember the time when you were outside of the faith? You didn't know God personally. You still remember those days. Anyone have? You, you can remember from where you came from. All right? 
for some of us who grew up in the church, that might be a distant memory, or maybe there wasn't a big clean break. But for those who know what it was like before B.C. days and A.D. days, you know there was a big change. Okay, Paul actually says in Ephesians, he says, he says here, If you want to look at this passage, then we're going to. Ephesians chapter 2. All right. He says, but now in Christ, you were once far off. Versus, uh, this is verse 13. You were once far off and brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments. Okay, it goes down. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And with members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So in a sense, we are, okay, we are not spiritually strangers and aliens anymore. For those who have accepted Christ as Savior, you have been adopted in to this family. You have a new family. You have a new identity. The, Holy, the Old Testament says that God has taken our heart of stone and he's put in a heart of flesh. And this heart of flesh, it pumps with a blood that has a different DNA than it did before. And this DNA changes our identity, the way we see ourselves, the way we see others. It helps break down the dividing wall. Because you remember what it was like to be afar off. You remember. So that should actually motivate you when you see someone else's far off to say, I want to go as part of the mission of God to go to the far off people. I'm going to go to the broken. I'm going to go to the lonely. I'm going to go to the rejected. I'm going to go to the outcasts, the poor, the ones that actually hate you. Because I remember when my everything in my heart hated you and you loved me. You brought me in. You made me one of your own. You gave me a new name, a new identity, a new family, a new home, a new sense of belonging, and a new purpose. That radical change helps us to love those who are far off. There might be people in your life right now uh, who the Lord is impressing upon your heart. I know the missions team challenged us to consider sharing the gospel with those around us. That is what they said is really true. Missions is not my job. It's all of our jobs to fulfill the Great Commission. I just get paid to do it full time by your support and by your prayers. I do it all the time. But you, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, God has given you a mission to share with your circle of influence your coworkers, your family, your friends, your neighbors, even your own family, to be a redeemer, to be a reconciler, to be the one who is serving to bring peace and break down the dividing wall of hostility because you know what it's like to be far off.
and you've been brought near. So who is that person or persons right now God's put on your heart to reach? You know their face. You know their name. What are you, who will reach them besides you? Only you know them. My challenge this morning is that we would live, all of us would live as aliens and strangers on this earth. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see, our, see others. It changes even our priorities. We don't hold on to stuff anymore. Stuff that God has given us as a tool to help him be glorified. From our tithes and offerings to our homes to our, the hospitality, the, the margin of time we have, it all belongs to the Lord. So I'm not sure what the Lord is saying to you this morning, but um, I wanted to just share with you that God can reach even the most far off. Um, last stories in my life is my sister Sarah. Sometimes I felt like it was easier to share Christ with an imam in a mosque than it was to my own sister. <laughs> Six years ago, her, her marriage broke up, and... Uh, she began to look upward for the first time. I was with her about two months ago, and I said, Sarah, why don't you just tell me your story, how you came back to the Lord. She was raised in the church. She heard every message I heard, but we went different ways. And Sarah just said, you know, I had everything the world had to offer, cars, expensive houses, nice clothes, a husband with a great job, and all of that was, she said, empty until I came home. And I realized that God had a place for me. And I was never too far from him. And in brokenness, in a broken home, broken marriage, broken heart, the Lord restored her and gave my sister a new life. And she, Sarah, is who she's always supposed to be. Who she is now is who God wanted her to be. No one is beyond reach. God will move heaven and earth, the boundaries of this earth, to bring people close to him, that some of them will reach out and find him. But we do need to go, and we need to be faithful to share it.